love Boner, man. Boner was great. Sorry, hang on. My wife's dangling chicken in my face. You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. All right, everybody. Welcome to the GGTMC. We are... We are on the air. I'm guessing you did hear that intro, correct? I did, and <laughs> my wife is still dangling chicken in my face. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Always a tease. <laughs> All right, so, <clears throat> oh, pardon me, uh, we are back for episode number 176, I think, right? Yeah, 176. Wow. So last week was 175, no real fanfare. I guess we just kind yeah. of keep on trucking business as usual. We... As they say in sports vernacular, we act like we've been here before. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we just kept on moving. We are getting ever so close, though, to the glorious episode 200. We're definitely going to try to do something special for 200. I don't know what that'll be yet, but... Other than recording naked, nothing's written in stone. <laughs> yes. Well, that's pretty much... We do that from episode one, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if that's special at this point. Um, okay, so this week we are covering um, Dirty Ho, uh, also known as... I don't, I don't even have that in front of me, but... Uh, I think it's called like Muddy Head Ho or Muddy <laughs> Dirty Head Ho. Or... But it's from uh, 76, directed by one, uh, how do you say his name again? Lao Kar Long. Yeah, there we go. And one, under one of his aliases, evidently, right? Or is uh, it... Yeah, I, I don't know, to be a, to be quite honest. I think that's his um, just his, his standard Chinese name, whereas this was more, even though it's still a Chinese name, I think it was, you know, I don't know all the specifics on that, to be honest. Right, right. I've seen him referred to as both. Obviously, in Western circles, he's known more as Lao Kar Long, so... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also Napoli Sparrow, which is also known as uh, Weapons of Death from 77. I should say Dirty Hose from 76 and Weapons of Death from 77. So these are pretty close together. Kind of different, <laughs> slightly. Oh, yeah. This one stars one Leonard Mann, uh, one Henry Silva, and a return of Mr. Jeffrey Blinn <laughs> to, the, to the GGTMC. <laughs> so, and directed by one Mario Kano. So, Eurocrime and martial arts, it really doesn't get much better than that. So, no, sir. That is what we are covering. Um, Large William, what have you watched lately? A couple films. Um, as I put in the score for the last one, watch of the week. Um, I Did I say that I watched Tintin yet? No, no, I didn't. I didn't on the air. I think you watched that after we recorded, yeah. Yeah, and then I know you watch it, so we'll both get to talk about it. But uh, yeah. I'll tell you, I loved it, man. Like I, I really, really enjoyed it. I'm gonna buy the blue. Would it have been on your top thirty? Yes. Yep, and and I agree with you. It would have been on my top thirty if I would have seen it too. Hey, you know what? I'll agree with you, man. It was lovely. It was it really was so good, man. Such a nice return to kids' films where there was that element of danger, yeah. and yeah. you know, it's really it's, it's really Spielberg's wheelhouse, really. Uh-huh. It's where you know it's where he belongs. If if there is a Spielbergian uh, type of filmmaking, I'd say Ten Ten is as close as we've seen in quite some time. I'd say, as far as his golden era stuff, what people yes, have the most yes. reverence for, right? His, I mean, his Amblin stuff, which you know was nice to right. see the Amblin uh, mark on the film. I, I watched this on Blu-ray. I got to say, I know I say this all the time, but my God, the Blu-ray on this thing is absolutely gorgeous. 
Uh, oh yeah, it will. I mean, your jaw will drop. Uh, the film's not perfect, I would say, but I mean, I really, really loved it. I really did. I mean, I thought it was really, really charming. It would have probably been. It would easily probably been in my silver category. I bet would it. It would have been mm, either silver or bronze. Probably bronze. But even still, I mean, that's a Spielberg film we're talking about for me. So yeah, yeah, and it's a pretty big deal. It's like me putting Giallo at number one when it came. Yeah, out or something. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's a really great film. Um, I would say you don't have to have kids to to enjoy it, but it helped. Um, yeah. You know the the boozy Captain Haddock is great, and you know what's interesting is Joe Cornish and Edgar Wright were involved in this, as well as Peter Jack Peter Jackson. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's some really great creative forces behind the scenes. I think I don't want to take anything away from Spielberg, but I think it should be noted. Oh yeah, no, no. I think it's a collaborative, you know, collaborative effort, and I also think that you know this type of animation, this motion capture type animation, it's been pretty. Well, it's not been dodgy. It's been pretty and stuff, but it, mostly the eyes have always been the mess mm-hmm. up or some of the, the other empty. little things. But this time around, I think they got the eyes right. So I think a little uh, more soul in those eyes. Yeah, and I remember seeing some behind the scenes stuff, and the way they shoot these things is, you know, Spielberg or Jackson or Zemeckis or whoever, while they're shooting it, they got these actors all dressed up in all these little dots and these little track suits, right? But they see on their little monitor, they basically see this computer-generated environment. So they see the film in a kind of a rough sketch of what we end up seeing in the finished product. So that's pretty interesting because that brings the cinematic feel to it. That's what Beowulf did, which I liked. I don't know if you saw mm-hmm. it or not. but That was good. And uh, some of the other ones. Uh, you know, But I think this is – now this is, reached, this is like top-tier level of this type of animation. This is like the pinnacle right now. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. I do want to say one more thing. William loved it. He was hanging off the couch. Nice. <laughs> Midway through, pretending he was going off a cliff. Sweet. <laughs> he asked me to refer to him just Tintin. Um, in a moment that hopefully, sorry, I'm eating a Mounds bar, nice. which we don't normally get here in Canada. We have Bounty, oh. which is the same thing, but my mom had a hookup somehow. Um, Sweet. So contraband Mounds bars. <laughs> <laughs> um, God, it's an underrated combination: coconut and chocolate. <laughs> But my son, you know the two cops with the mustaches? Oh, yeah, the Thompson and Thompson. That's right, man. He goes, Daddy, how come the, do all the good guys have mustaches? I, said, I wanted to say, honey, in a few years you're going to see Franco Nero and some other policemen that yeah. are good guys with mustaches. And yeah. they have the same love affair I did, so it was just kind of. Yeah, there was great little jokes with them, too. Like, oh, they're having a sale on boulder hats. Oh, the half prop on canes, too. <laughs> but no, it was, it was, I mean, I'll just talk a little, you know, like we talked about it here, because you won't have to even go into anything else I watched, because I didn't watch anything else but that film. But it was, I agree with you, it was, it was very charming. I'm looking forward to watching it with my son at some point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I think he's probably a year, year and a half away from really, really digging it. You know, once they get right. to about three, you know, he's, he's coming up on two pretty, pretty soon here, man. Yeah, in June, yeah. Wow. Um, so, yeah, another year or so he'll be, he'll be in that wheelhouse. But, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, no, good stuff from Spielberg. Um, uh, I then went to a documentary on Netflix Instant called The End, which was done by a pair of twin sisters whose father was a, uh, an east side of London gangster um, named Falco. Uh, not Joe Falco. I can't remember his name now. Falco? The Rock Me Amadeus Falco? Sadly not. Sadly not. De commissaire? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we used to love making fun of that video. It was so ridiculous, man. I know. It so is. ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, because me and my brother, still, to this day, we go up and go, I'm a da da I'm a da da But it's East End Gangsters, Cockney Gangsters documentary. It's obviously kind of shot with sort of a reverence. Oh, those lovable rascals, because their dad's one. Right, um, right, right. So it's not... It's not necessarily an even-handed approach, 
Yeah, but, I've uh, never heard of this film, and I am currently jotting it down. But it's cool, man. It's definitely worth a watch. I'd be interested to see what our British listeners think of it. Um, but it's cool. It's a cool documentary, for sure. Check it out. Um, I stayed in, in that, that neck of the woods because there was just this thread that started on our boards uh, on Facebook. Um, someone wanted to know about the end of this. They were looking for the name of a, a, a movie or something they'd seen on TV in Australia in the mid-'80s. And like Voltron, we all banded together. And, yeah, I saw that. Uh, I think Graham Wright was the one who ended up getting it. Um, what was it? What did it end up being? I didn't see what it ended up being. Hammer, House of Mystery, an episode called Child's Play. Wow. So he did that, and then Mondo Justin found the, the uh, YouTube link to the entire episode in one file. Amazing. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch this thing, man. It sounds cool, because I'm into Twilight Zone, Tales from the Dark Side. You know, I grew up with that stuff. Oh, yeah. I love that stuff, too. Yeah, yeah. Very good stuff. Now... It's got probably the worst child actor in the history of cinema. She's so <laughs> annoying. Even uh, even Justin, the cinemascus, watched it and said the same thing. She's so brutal, man. But it's weird because Nicholas Clay, the titular night digger, it's him, like, you know, 14 years later with a bit of a perm, actually. <laughs> nice. It was weird to see him, like, a few weeks ago, and then I've seen him in this. It's it's okay. Um, the end is kind of cool. It drags a bit. I think they could have trimmed over 20 minutes, but still worth anyone's time, I'd say. Um. Then I decided to get into another bogey in Bacall because it's still clear the PVR month. I watched Dark Passage. Oh, nice. Yeah. I've seen that Man, one before. That one's fucking awesome. Yeah. I'll is, tell you, this smashes Key Largo for me, bud. You know, it's funny you were talking about Key Largo. I had to think, rethink about Key Largo and stuff. And the reason why I had to rethink about it is I've only seen Key Largo once. I've seen Dark Passage a couple times. I've seen some of the other stuff they've done. Uh, bogey is one of those actors, obviously, where, you know, he's his charisma is more than his actual acting ability, I think. That's right. And, you know, he's just got a special face, a special delivery, uh, actually a lisp, really, when you think about it. And he looks great. We always bring up people who smoke great on screen. It's one of the greatest smokers of all time on screen. Oh, yeah. And off screen, actually, too. It ended up killing him. But anyway, uh, yeah, you know, I really like Dark Passage. I'm glad you dug that one. I was wondering what you were going to think of that one because, I, you know, because some people, I understand why you're saying that because some people are Key Largo here, Dark Passage here. You know, it's kind of like mm-hmm. a juggling act. But I'm with you. I lean more Dark Passage. And Dark Passage has this really great, really ahead of its time um, decision because what it is, it's about a criminal who's on the lam for, for quote-unquote, falsely um, killing his wife. So for the first 45 minutes of the film, before he gets a face change, it's shot first person, like POV. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a really great technique, and it works really well. Um it's it's a really good film, man. I really dug it. I would say it's uh, it's worth everyone's time. Absolutely. Um, I stayed, man. I stayed back in the the old school um, again through just Facebook conversation. Um, I posted something about Hell's a Poppin', and then um, uh, a nice um, conversation sort of came from that. Um, Todd and, and Mondo Justin talking about the Hardy. Uh, I was going to the Hardy Boys, Laurel and Hardy, <laughs> Frank and Joe. Um, <laughs> And they, you know, Justin brought up the Flying Deuces, which he was quick to say was not a film about uh, turds or anything <laughs> flying through the air. Um, nice. You know, it was okay, man. If that was my first old school comedy, you know, you'd have to do a little more convincing to get me to stick with it. Right. Um, not really my bag. You know, it, it was okay. I'd like to see some more before I make a sort of statement to say I'm not really a Laurel and Hardy guy, but I infinitely prefer the Marx Brothers. And the silent stuff from Keaton and even Chaplin and stuff that I've seen uh, otherwise. To Laurel and Hardy. I don't know how you feel about Laurel and Hardy. I, I like Laurel and Hardy. Uh, I liked them more as a ch- It's like the Three Stooges. I liked them more as a child than I do as an adult. 
Mm-hmm. But uh, you can see Stan Laurel, of course. You know, he kind of comes from the silent era. You can see mm-hmm. that, yeah, and that he doesn't really talk really much, and that you know he does a lot of miming and things like that. You know, they they have golden moments and they have not so golden moments. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm obviously I'm more of a Keaton. Uh, well, I mean, I'm arguably a well, no, no, I'd take Lauren Hardy over the Stooges. <laughs> I had to think about that one. That's a weird thing to think about, which makes me yeah. think about this new re- Three Stooges that's coming out. It looks like the most oh. god awful film I have ever seen before in my life. Yeah, it does. well, except for the FP. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, when you posted that, I was like, what is this thing? I had to go look at it. So, through the wonders of the internet and the wonderful iPad, while I was on the can, I decided to check out the trailer to the FP. Apropos. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I'm not interested. I mean, it, it, it looks like it's made to be a cult film. It it might be great, but, you know, I'm not going to pursue it. No, it's it's not. It's just awful. And then finally, I closed out my week. Uh, me and the Bryn have been engaging in homework. Uh, I didn't hold up my end of the bargain six months ago, apparently. <laughs> So I forgot about it. I, I'm still not convinced he watched all three films. I wish I, I would like to talk to him about that because he's like, yeah, I watched all three because I distinctly remember him only watching one at the time, which is why I even called him out on it. But he's a man of his word, so I guess I'll take him at his word. Certainly, he's he's certainly an honorable fellow. But um, he's trying to turn the tide with me with Spielberg and Man. So he said, you got to watch Duel, you got to watch Thief, and I got a couple of British films I got to watch. Um, so I watched Duel, and you know, uh, Heaven and Earth is or not Heaven and Earth, but Earth's probably going to split apart and swallow all of us because I've really dug two Spielberg films in one week. Wow. <laughs> yeah, man. Which one? Was, Duel. Well, well, yeah, yeah, Duel. I've always wondered if you'd ever seen that. I knew you said you hadn't. I actually thought at one point I almost dropped that on you to do on the show. It's a good film, man. He manufactures some great tension. The stuff in the diner with uh, mm-hmm. with the, the guy who he reminded me of. Um, first it was sort of Tom Scarrett, but then he kind of reminded me of... Uh, oh, yeah, Dennis Weaver. That's Bruce, who it is. Dennis Weaver reminded me of Bruce Dern a little bit, like a more yeah. pushover Den- uh, Bruce Dern. I like Duel a lot. I think it has a little too much narration in it for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just a little bit too much. But I yeah, do think it's... I, I think, I think you, you got to remember that's a made-for-TV film. I think it's pretty ingenious. for And considering how young he was, too. Yeah, yeah. It's, it... it Definitely was a statement. It was a statement. I could see. Some, I really dug that. You know, essentially, it was shot on the cheap. And when you can do a film like that and have a simple premise, and have it feature length, and it just works. Even though it wasn't a feature film, it was made for TV, but it was still a film. Yeah, it, it worked very well. It, it was one that, if I'll go so far as to say, if I saw it at the right price, like ten bucks, I'd buy it. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, it good. was very solid. So two Spielbergs and one way could have thunk. Yeah, really. Yeah, you never know. You know, it's the age-old thing. I complain about Argento, and then every time we review one, I give it a six, seven, or an eight. Yeah, <laughs> I'm never higher, man. You even went with, with Deep Red. I think you went like 8.75. No, I think I, I went nine with the Deep Red. Yeah, you went strong. But that one you should have known because that is my favorite Argento So Yeah. So you should probably have known that. We haven't really gotten into the money ball one, though, with that one. We haven't got done like a Suspiria or anything like that yet. <laughs> or Inferno. or <laughs> Yeah, yeah, those two. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. But yeah, like I said, I didn't really watch anything. So uh, I did just find some awesome uh, photos I'm going to post on the Silver and Gold group. Nice. Uh, so I'm very happy about that. So <laughs> just kind of nice. browsing while you were talking there. All right. Uh, so with that being said, what do you want to cover first? You got a preference? Nope. Okay. I'm easy peasy. I've seen both before. I like both. Uh, full disclosure. So whatever you want to talk about, dude. Let's do. Uh, let's do weapons of death first. Okay. Let's talk a little Silva. Huh. All right. We'll be back right after this. Hey gang, Tom DJ at Better in the Dark here. As I've discussed in the podcast, which you can find at Earth2.net, I suffer from mental illness. Part of this illness includes struggling with suicidal thoughts. Now I'm lucky. I've got great friends, family, and yes, even fans who give me the strength to conquer those thoughts 
every day. Some people aren't so lucky. For them, there's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, providing support and advice to pull those people through the darkest moments of their lives. For the months of March and April 2012, Better in the Dark is running a special BITD challenge. We're asking our fans to go to SuicidePreventionLifeline.com and donate at least $10. The donations are tax-deductible, and you'll be doing something truly great. On top of that, if you forward a copy of your receipt to Better in the Dark at Earth2.net, that's Better in the Dark at Earth-2.net, you may be eligible for special goodies from us, a special director's court on Brian De Palma that you'll be listed as co-producer on, plus the possibility of free audio commentaries on some of De Palma's films from me and my co-host, Derek Ferguson. For more details, listen to recent episodes of Better in the Dark. Please help me send a lifeline out to those who need it. Meet the BITD Challenge. Thank you for your time and help. Welcome back, and uh, make sure you do donate to a good cause there with uh, Derek and uh, Mr. Tom DJ. Yes, we're listening Wish to the break. Some of the uh, Gallagher's brought money to give them. Yeah, 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 yeah. They got plenty, don't they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, at least plenty one of eyebrows too. Yeah, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely have some nice eyebrows and, 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 and eyes that go different ways. They're very interesting looking gentlemen. Uh, anyway. Um, Let's see here. What we got? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, Napoli Spara. Napoli Spara? Napoli? Napoli. 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 Uh, Let me... uh, You got to look it up under uh, that name, I think, on IMDb. So, let me be so kind as to hit enter here. And I don't think there's a synopsis. I know there's not. This is not as readily available, I would say. We should say... Sorry. I I mean, I'm going to cut you off before we... It should be said, this is our CDB pick. Yeah. Yeah. So, if you're going to get it, that's probably where you're going to get it. Uh, there might be some. There might be some uh, other labels that might have it out there somewhere. But I've seen. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty underseen uh, Eurocrime film. Uh, basically, well, I don't even know if there's. Uh, basically, you got you got your cops. You got your you got your criminals. Uh, you, you got, got Naples. <laughs> you got Naples. You got Henry Silva playing a character named Santoro. <laughs> 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 and at one point, we'll talk about his robe. Um, oh, yeah, you got uh, Jeff Blinn, who we did in uh, was Giallo Lavincia, is that yeah, what Giallo Venezia. Yeah, which uh, you know he was the egg sucking detective in that, but here he's a tax That's right, man. I forgot about the egg angle. <laughs> yeah, here he's a Guidi or Guidi, Guidi, Guidi. I don't know how you say that name. It's really I have to look, how is it spelled? G U I D I, Guidi, Guidi. Yeah, that's a new one for me, Guido. Is one I know, but Guidi is not something I know. I'm sorry. And Leonard Mann, who we can discuss. Uh, we I don't think Leonard Mann's ever. He, he may have been on our show, but he's never been a prominent part of our show. But he is an important part of the Eurocrime uh, era in some ways. Uh, oh, mo- yeah. Mostly. Great, great little turn in the documentary, too. Yeah. And he's mostly. Uh, I know he did a lot of. Uh, what's that? Uh, he did a lot of the ad libbing. Or not ad libbing, the uh, dubbing. The dub. For uh, these films when they came over to American stuff, but anyway, so I don't really know if there's a plot to really talk about. It's essentially good guys versus bad guys, cops uh, versus robbers. Yeah, it's a very simple, very basic, and I would arguably say a very nice way to open your experience with your crime if you've never seen one. Not mm-hmm. the perfect one, but I think it's uh, 
pretty solid. So let's hear what you got to think about this. I know we talked about it a little bit before in the past, but now we're going to talk about it in detail. So let's have some fun here. Okay, so yeah, like we said, this is our cinema dash de dash bizarre dot com pick. Um, Mario Kano is a director that you know he did some pretty prominent films uh, in the genre. Bloody Payroll uh, is probably his most notable one. However, the one that he loves the most is also a CDB pick. A very rare film called uh, Gangsters Attack: The Police Respond, which is a hybrid jolly and eurocrime film. But um, he's a director that I can't remember who it was. I think Paul Taggart agreed with me. Typically, his direction is very flat. Mm-hmm. However. Uh, this film is one of the few exceptions to that because this film does go at a good pace and it's yeah. it's not as flat as some of his films and it you know of course we're getting our patron saint Henry Silva back in the mix yeah and this one's also yeah this one's very full of action as well I mean this one's heavy on car chases mm-hmm. and uh, chaos and violence it should be said it's not well no I, no it's pretty nasty in spots there's a couple nasty moments I mean. Two minutes in, and a pregnant woman gets kicked in the stomach. So. I have that note actually. Yeah, that's where. Yeah, but we're two minutes in, and a pregnant woman's been pimp slapped as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's pretty insane. So there you go. Definitely, man. Um, now it's got a really nice breezy opening to inside the car, which you know it's very. Uh, very much of the genre. A lot of times you get those kind of travelogues where it's inside the Fiat. It's the guy driving through the streets of Naples or, or Rome or Venice as he's in his car. And he gives us a little bit of travelogue of the grit and the grime of the city. So, right. And we see that again here, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it should be said, too, a Francesco Damasi score, which is, is fairly serviceable. Yeah, it's kind of it's a little funky and plus a little jazz. There's like a little jazz funk to it. It's, it's good. It's, it's, it, I mean, I can't hum you anything right now. But no. so that kind of tells you, you know, it's not real catchy or anything, but it, it's very, you're, I agree with you, the word serviceable. I'm actually looking through Kano's filmography to see what other stuff I've seen. I've actually not seen this guy is where he worked in every genre that, mm-hmm. that Italy went through. I think he did like six or seven gladiator films and then he went into his, uh, his, uh, spaghetti western phase. I don't know what spaghetti westerns has he done. I don't know if I've seen He did, um, Bullets Don't Argue, uh, Seven Pistols for a Massacre. Yeah, haven't we seen that? I thought maybe you had too. No, I don't know if I've seen that one. I'd have to look. I might have seen another title, Man Who Cried Revenge. I'd, I'd have to look and see if I've seen some of these. Shanghai. Those titles are all very sort of spaghetti western. Yeah, yeah. Shanghai Joe, which I think I've seen because it has uh, Klaus. Yeah, I've seen that, it. I think, too. Yeah, so. But yeah, I agree with you, though. He's not the world's most uh, electrifying Italian director. <laughs> no, he's not. Um, but, you know, serviceable workman, a couple couple high spots and it should be said i would really recommend gangsters attack man if anyone hasn't seen that check it out and then this one too but um it's interesting that uh you know one of the things that you see so much in um i think i've just seen a picture you've posted on (laughs) yes a little bit speechless right now (laughs) the sequel yeah wow oh my god i don't know what compels anyone to do that i don't know what compelled me to click on a link that took me to that world Man, that's some fine ink work. Uh, ooh, that's got to be sensitive and itch like a motherfucker. Oh, yeah, yeah. The curation period on that has got to be a bitch. Oh, Jesus. Wow. Less said about that, the better. That really is something you need to see. Fine, fine. Uh, it's a fine canvas, though, it yeah. should be said. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a very fine canvas. I agree. And that's the reason why I put it on there. The other canvas they put on there before, I'm not particularly a fan of that type of canvas. That's more Zom and Loaf's thing. I got to find it now. <laughs> you know what? It was the other one. You remember the. the the fart of the devil one. It was the oh, that dude. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yikes. But, uh, okay, so. Uh, 
so yeah, what's interesting in these films, I've seen it a few times, and there's a reason it's done in this above and beyond just sort of surface, but the bank robbers, um, one of them's about to shoot someone, and they say, forget this, man, we're done, and they drop the guns because they say, we get a murder rap, we're in for life, and it, I think it, it, it kind of goes to show without out and out saying it, well, I guess it does out and out say it, how prevalent armed robbery was in Italy in the 70s. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, you know, this reminded me a little bit in some ways. This is like, and this is a crazy thing to say, but this is like the B-movie version of The Big Racket. <laughs> yeah, I could, yeah, you know, I could kind of see that for sure, man. Because The Big Racket has a little bit more of a glean to it, you know, kind of a little bit more of a shine. And a it, team, uh, sort of super team up. And it's better, it's well more, it's better shot, uh, you know, and of course... Argu- well, no, there's no argument to it. Testy's much better, I think, than Leonard Mann as a lead. Uh, yeah, but Mann, he, oh, I don't know. I like I like Mann a lot in this. I, but yeah, Testy's got a physicality to him. You know, Mann, he just feels, he feels to me like he kind of came on the back end of some of this stuff. And I like him, but he can be sometimes, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Uh, sometimes he's, well, he's not a charisma suck like, uh, what's his name? The guy that was in that Vietnam movie we did. What's his oh, name? Warbeck? Yeah, Warbeck. Yeah, yeah, he's not a Warbeck. He's somewhere between a Warbeck and a and somebody else for me. He's 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 lower tier for me. I don't know. I quite like him actually, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, you know who he reminds me of is like an on edge Dean Stockwell. Yeah, okay. I could see that. I could see that. I don't know. I really like him, man. Yeah. I mean I like his look. I just don't feel like he really I don't know. Bring it for you? Nah, yeah. I mean I just so much of me would rather have seen, you know. Well, obviously, the dream team, you know, like to see, you know, like Testy and Silva going at it in scenes, oh, chewing yeah. the scenery, you know, or Kinski and Silva or anybody in Silva, I guess, maybe. But just maybe the, the heavyweights. Not so much like your Merrily, the super cop, but more like, you know, like more like Milan or um, who else? Who, we, we talk about these guys all the fucking time. We can't remember their names. Well, like, well, like uh, some of the villains or. Yeah, well, yeah, some of those guys. Or even like a. Well, no, not like a Bud Spencer. That would have been fucked up. That would have been awesome, but it would have been fucked up. <laughs> it's almost like you got a comic book and you have like a West Coast Avenger headlining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, like Wonder that's Man. Good. Okay, well, you're, okay. you're great and all. But I mean, I, I don't feel quite the same way as you, but maybe that's sort of what you're... Yeah. It's not an Avenger, it's a West Coast Avenger. He's like a, he's like a B-movie to the B-movie Eurostars for me. Sure. Yeah, I, I feel a little differently, but hey, like I said, teach their own. Um, you know who he reminds but, me of? He reminds me of uh, Gemma. Um, a little bit, Giuliano Gemma. A little bit, he? a little bit. Yeah. Little, for me, he does a little bit. Maybe it's the the lack of charm or the perm. <laughs> but Gemma always had straight hair, man. Yeah, he did. But I, I seem to remember he was. It was a little curlier. No, maybe it wasn't curly in the uppercut man. I seem to remember being. Well, it was the mustache oh, that was curly. Maybe he did have a perm in the uppercut man because yeah. he had that cheesy mustache. This was the eighties, <laughs> and he was down with the ladies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right, man. Maybe he did. He he was more yeah. definitely more more salt than I mean, pepper in the hair yeah. at that point. Yeah, I like Gemma as a as a Western star, but he Gemma was like the 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 merely of we, of the spaghetti westerns, right? Because he was <laughs> yeah. he he was always the good guy. He was always super cowboy, and yeah. merely's the same thing. He never really played anything against type. So you know they're kind of like your good call. Yeah, they're they're very similar to each other. But yeah. the whitest of white hats, and in saying that, the most vanilla of white hats. Yeah, or you know, or, I like merely some, but. Uh, Really, I just got to be in the mood for that kind of Eurocrime film, mm-hmm. which are, they're different than most of the other. Most of them are kind of gray, whereas Merrily typically is, <laughs> he's he's here. He's uh, <laughs> he's very white hat in a lot of ways. All right, we're, yeah, we're, we're, we're getting off track, my bad. Very true. No, 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 it's cool. Um, I like the nice little twist with kind of like the special squad with that robbery in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Smart little thing. Again, you know, 
arm robberies happen so much that they got to kind of <laughs> add something to the to the mix, you know, to make it a little more, uh, you know, web of intrigue or of deception, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, layers of deception. That was cool. Um, what does this even say? I have a note in quotations here. <laughs> it says bears radio. Hmm. Bears radio. I don't know what that means. Okay, well. <laughs> I'm looking through my notes to see if I have any Bears radio. Bears radio. Oh, I know what it was. Because there's a moment in the dubbing when, they, oh, there's a bear on our tail. And that's like very much like like trucker terms for a police officer. <laughs> yeah, like a smoky. Yeah, or a honey bear, you know. And, <laughs> you know female cop. Yeah, my dad, because he was a trucker, so I used to try to, you know. I didn't, even, ca- I didn't even catch that. Yeah, there's wow. a bear coming our way or something. Yeah. Um, I say what you will about Leonard Mann, but he can rock the trench coat proper. Oh, no, he looks good in the trench coat. I agree with that. Because he's got that build that's sort of, you know, he's not too brawny where it looks like the buttons are going to pop. And he's not, I mean, he's a skinny dude, but he's not too, too skinny. Yeah. Yeah, he's so. kind of slender and stuff. He looks good in the jacket. Uh, probably the only other person I know that can rock that jacket better is the guy he's playing opposite with. Yeah, and that's <laughs> the thing. It, it takes guts to rock guts. <laughs> To uh, to rock the trench coat opposite Silva. Yeah, yeah, and Silva's intro intro is pretty cool in this film. I like it. it kind of the close. So they got a nice little musical sting. Got the gold watch. Uh, mm-hmm. Silva, you know, showing that he knew how to smoke a cigarette back in the day. Oh yeah, <laughs> and it was great. He does his own his own dubbing too, which is good. Yeah, but he, it's it's that era of Silva where his voice sounds really high. <laughs> You're right, though, man. You're right. It does sound a bit high because at first I checked my VLC, but I'm like. Hang on. Is this playing at like 1.3? Why does it sound a little bit high? It's like somebody's got a hold of Silva's balls. He's like, how you doing there, buddy? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's true, man. Um, Hang on. There's a note I'm looking for in here. Mm, Not going to find it now. Like a fuck. (laughs) Oh, well. doesn't matter. It's not really that important. Um, I have to say, and there's some background to this. Seeing like the there's a scene when uh, uh, man's character, and he's very much yeah the the cop on the edge who's you know right. busting heads and he takes no prisoners and you know he's he's getting an earful from the you know commission can't keep on this way and you know you destroyed this and that and he's he's uh, he goes to he's walking through Nap- Naples and and there's a great scene when he goes by the storefront and it's got all these supersate in the wind like these salamis in the window. And I, when I was watching this, it made me feel really queasy, man, because the night before, um, <laughs> my wife and I sat down mm-hmm. when I was watching the Dark Passage. And believe me, there was a lot of passage for me afterwards. Oh. Um, I had a whole salami in one sitting. Oh. And then, and then I thought it'd be smart to eat a little bit of French vanilla ice cream. Oh. <laughs> I paid for it dearly, man. Three, four in the morning, I'm up. And I'm just, oh, I just, man. Oh. <laughs> I didn't feel good. And then to see that in the window, man. That's why, like, I can't, I can't keep too many at my house because I'll eat them. Yeah, no, I'm the same way. I actually had an experience last night. I ate a big bowl, of, a big plate of spaghetti. Um, had a nice big plate of spaghetti, and I was very full. I didn't need to eat anything else. Mm-hmm. But in my infinite wisdom, I decided to cram a couple of uh, Cadbury caramel eggs in my down my throat, Ooh. and I drank a whole glass of milk on top of this oh, pasta and wow. the tea I drank. And about five minutes after I got done eating, literally five minutes. Not, nothing happened, and there was no emergency excavation. Thank God, but there was a massive stomach ache, and it was, oh. it was, it, it felt like 
if somebody would have stuck a, the smallest little sewing pin into my stomach, I would have exploded. I was like that character in the Monty Python film, The Meaning of Life. I literally felt like I, I felt like I was round. Like psychologically, I felt like I was about to blow up. I felt like the biggest pig. I've ever felt. Oh, I mean, it, it was all. It was because you know how pasta is. You know, pasta. You're eating it. You're loving it. Oh, it's so delicious. But once pasta settles, <laughs> it's, it's like, like the guy with the the, the blackjack or the beaver tail. Man, it comes up out of nowhere and just clobbers you. Yeah. So it, it but, but I didn't even give it time to settle. See, and then I threw the caramel eggs. And I don't know if you guys have those no. others. You guys have those. The ones that are really sweet with the uh, yeah. white and the yellow. Well, see, yeah, there's those are the cream ones. I do the caramel, which has it's the same thing, but it's just chock full of caramel in the middle. Oh wow! And then the milk, man. Oh, yeah, and the milk was delicious going down. I just, you know, uh, I'm a sucker for milk. But uh, anyway, yeah, GGTMC dietary. Do, do not eat that stuff. All well, tonight, no. I'm going to try to bake an orange dream sickle cake. <laughs> oh wow! Very nice. Very nice. I wish, man. Yeah. So we we did we pulled out our stops yesterday. Um, <laughs> for Jake, Jake and Yuri came down course podcast on humanity we had a lovely visit so yeah it was great to see the pictures and everything and i wanted to get more up there but we were just throwing down man so yeah that's what happens you know. when the b comes up yeah man yeah oh true and i got just leftovers for it to kill man i'm trying to eat it all before <laughs> but then again you regret so yeah. let me this, this is starting to sound like silver and gold this, this is the logic of a male yeah, it's like oh, i don't true. want all these i don't want these leftovers go to waste i gotta eat them <laughs> yep and i'm eating eggplant parmesan for four days <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah. So anyway, the, <laughs> let me we get off eggplant parmesan onto these characters. Um, uh, Johnny, the 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 boy in this film, I like that character. He's been in a few Lindsay films playing the same kind of character. Yeah, I, ultimately, I like this character. At first, I didn't really like him. Okay, because I knew I wondered how he was going to sit with you. Well, it's not his fault. It's the score. Oh, it's very whimsical, like almost like old timey playful child music. Yeah, it's very it's very goofy. Is what it's not. It's not bad. It's just very goofy, mm-hmm. and that didn't work for me. I like the character. I like what he's all about, mm-hmm. but the 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 music really gave him this kind of. Uh, it was just kind of goofy for me, but eventually I really started to like the character, and I also like the the relationship between him and man, mm-hmm. and and what it means because this film is for as B movie as this film is, and when I say that, I mean action packed, balls to the wall. Pretty straight and narrow, 90 minutes, boom, 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 you're in. I mean, you got guys that, that rob a train with ski mask machine guns and, needless to say, peacoats. Yeah. <laughs> did, did you see the peacoat pea bandits, man? That was awesome. Dude, I was going to say that. <laughs> Silva in, wait for it, balaclava <laughs> yeah. and peacoat. <laughs> and that was awesome. I thought about you and then I saw the peacoat. It's like, yes, the peacoat. But uh, this film is actually watching it now it's actually a lot deeper emotionally than i than i remember it being i was kind of treading careful uh, like jeff blinn i was walking carefully over my bold eggs just now that's right man <laughs> so yeah that's no you're right no you're right it, it's and it's weird you know italy has this thing like much like the um the Milan character either Pigpen or monetta or whatever monetta i can't remember what his name is he had a few characters that popped up in films that just didn't quite make sense, but they were popular with the audience, much like the kid in this. So right, it's, right. It's funny, different director even, but he he saw that the kid was kind of famous. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, no, the kid's good. Yeah. The kid's good. The music doesn't do him any favors, but the kid is good. No, no, you're right, man. And because it's funny, because as soon as he popped up, music played. I, you know, I like him, and I knew I liked him, obviously, having seen him before, but I didn't remember him being in the film until I rewatched it. And then as soon as he came on. 
I heard your voice about I can't remember which film it was we watched, but there were some kids crying in the back seat of a car <laughs> and how annoyed you were. <laughs> I can't remember what that was either. Do you remember they were crying and like just going crazy and you were just like, Oh man, I want you're like, This is gonna sound horrible, but I wanted that car to fucking crash. <laughs> Jesus. It was just so grating. <laughs> I'd have to go through the dialogue and or I'd go through all of our shows to find that, and that's way too big of a task. <laughs> yeah, that is. Well, yeah, but uh, yeah. Well, there was um, a, there was another moment with the kid too that was weird. It was the there's a there's a weird montage in the film where the kid takes the car, which is really cool, but it's just got a weird tone to it with the rest of the film. I'll tell you why that seemed to have fit in, and I like that scene because it reminds mm-hmm. me of Driven, the Stallone film. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> but uh, which is actually a little bit of a guilty pleasure. Um, speaking of which, oh, nice. Uh, there's a Stallone. Is, there's a Stallone connection here in this film. Jeff Blinn is actually, and I can't place him, but he's in Cliffhanger. No way. Yeah, he's in Cliffhanger, and I got I got to go back and like watch Cliffhanger frame by frame to see where he's at. Yeah, it would have to be frank. He has played another big part. Um, <laughs> That's really weird. I'm willing to bet you, much like a few other things in this film, um, they had the opportunity that arose to do something, so they took it. Meaning someone's brother was in town for two days. They had a Ferrari. How can we shoehorn the Ferrari in? It totally feels that way. And as low-budget filmmaking goes, it totally makes sense to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a. If you think about low budget filmmaking, you always want to shoe, shoehorn stuff in because it gives you production value, right? And it does give the film a lot of production value. Oh, it totally does, man. I mean, that's a nice Ferrari. You don't see Ferrari. You know, I can't remember too many Italian, like Eurocrime films with Ferraris in them. Yeah, we don't even. Uh, doing this show, I don't even know if we've talked about Ferraris that much. No. Which is kind of amazing when you think about it. All the movies we've done, there's been car movies, and we haven't really done nothing that really Ferraris have featured prominently in that I can recall. No, it's true, man. It's very true. Um, what did you think about that Fiat crash, though? Was that the longest Fiat crash ever put on film? It might very well be. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of senseless violence in this film. A lot of a lot of innocence getting hurt, uh, which is what I like about it. There's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of these movies tend to be the bad guys are getting shot, the good guys are getting shot, but you never see everybody else getting affected. In this film, there tends to be a lot of you know, background characters getting hurt. And this one, there's a family that get. I don't mean to laugh, but there's a family. I think there's kids in the car and everything. Yeah. And they get hit in a Fiat, and it's the longest slow-motion Fiat crash I have oh, I ever know. seen. It's like Peck and Pa just, you know, beyond. It's like, yeah, just stretched. It just keeps going and going and going. And then, of course, finally when it's done, the car blows up. Car explosion. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's like, man, how... I'm sitting, I actually... You know, I don't have that moment often, but I'm actually sitting there while it's going on going, how long is this car going to crash? <laughs> it was a long time. Because I think it went down a hill and, yeah. you know, then it's onto some different terrain, like some rocks. and <laughs> yeah. Looks like they shot it in like 45 different places or something. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Um, I like uh, when, you know, uh, Silva being the cop of the walk when, when uh, him and man kind of face off and... And so it kind of dismissively system. It's obvious you haven't been in Naples very long. <laughs> yeah. There are certain things you just don't know about. And, you know, of course, the Silva delivery is what makes it. But just kind of funny to see him you know, piss on, piss in man's face a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he, he delivers this kind of dialogue probably better than any anybody. And that, you know, the dialogue is very earnest, but he has this way of just delivering it and stuff. And Zom and Loaf actually talked about this recently. They covered that uh, Silva, Borgnine, Cliff Robertson film shoot, which is on our roadmap. Yes, And uh, obviously we're going to wait on it for a while now. But 
they were talking about the way he delivers dialogue sometimes is so stiff and stuff. But I don't know if it's stiff as much as like Bronson. It's just a unique delivery. Kind of punchy. You know, mm-hmm. it's... It's got a. It's the New York really comes out in him sometimes, you know. Yes, it, it really just kind of comes to the front forefront, and uh, in this film, aside from the fact that he sounds about three octaves higher than he normally does, yeah, he uh, it really is. Uh, there's some good lines in here. There's some really good lines. The, the best line in the film for me, it should be said, because I'm just kind of going over my notes while you're going over your notes, because I know as always we're compressed for time. You guys hear it every week, uh, but there's a character in here, kind of an ancillary character, says, uh, well, he says the piece of advice he got from Al Capone was everybody screws an enemy, nobody fucks a friend. Yes, <laughs> that's a pretty good. That's a pretty good piece of advice. <laughs> that is. So, that but is. but the, but the dialogue that Silva has, it's it's few and far between, and it's very earnest. But in typical Silva fashion, he delivers it perfectly. Yeah, because he has a certain way of speaking dismissively um, to his antagonist or his yeah. opposite in films. Yeah. yeah, he always. It's the strangest thing when it comes to Silva. He always seems like he thinks he's better than anybody else on screen. And I I just, I don't know if he actually thinks that way, but he really kind of just exudes confidence. Mm-hmm. Which is part of the reason he works so much, right? The, it's a genre of machismo. Right, right. Yeah, because he's not like he's not like he's a big, strong dude. No. You know, he's got a certain swagger to him, a certain, you know, likability. Silva swagger. Yeah, the Silva swagger. That's right. I keep cutting uh, you off. I'm sorry, man. No, dude, no. I'm... <laughs> Captain cutoffs. I don't even, <laughs> don't even sweat it. But yeah, my next note was about Jeff Blinn. It was the rich man's Maurizio Merrily. And that's a dig at all you Merrily fans. Because <laughs> yeah. Blinn's a poor man, but he's still the rich man's more, uh, Merrily. It's amazing but, how much those guys look alike. Yeah. It, it's like, you know what it's like, man? It's like, you know, you get a Xerox. And then every Xerox looks a little bit foggier. Like, okay, you get, get narrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you get Hill. And then you get Merrily. And then you get Blinn. You know, you're four four stops removed from from the original. Now, I would have loved to have seen a movie with those four with mustache, as like a, you know, like a, a like a team up crime fighting film. Oh yeah, yeah, that'd been awesome. The mustache comb budget alone on that film oh, would have been wow. amazing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and a little comb, man, would have been great. Um, you know. Mario Cano, certainly a bit of a flat director, but I found he always has good chases, and there's some really rock-solid, I mean really rock-solid car chases in this film, including one where Leonard Mann has to impress you with the size of his, his nuts to get on top of a fucking moving tanker. Yeah, I know. That that's, was, him, that's him doing it. I mean, there's yeah. no mistake. Yeah, he talked about that in the Eurocrime documentary. He talks a little bit about that kind of stuff, and yeah, I mean, there's some impressive action-wise I mean, I can already tell you that basically my MVT for this film is the action. This thing is has got some insane action in it. That's some really, really good stuff. Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely, man. Um, but um, always oh, there's some really good chases. There's a few, man. In fact, that chase with the uh, the truck is kind of reminiscent to me of the Seven Ups. Oh yeah, not quite there, but it's it's not far off either. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm always just impressed when stars actually, you know, have the balls to get up there and do that stuff because it's like, you know, dude, you don't have to do it. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and so it's still well, in Italy. Me. In Italy, they had to do. Well, yeah, they didn't have any choice. Like, you want to be the star of the movie? Yeah, yeah, I want to do it. Well, you got to do this. Ugh. You know, you can imagine Diodato in the jungle. We got to kill the turtle. Yeah. <laughs> oh, come on, guys. I'm used to doing porn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a far cry from from that sort of yeah, penetration. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good choice of words. <laughs> far cry from that type of penetration. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, man. Yeah, we got to get into some more Diodato, like Cut and Run or whatever that one he did with uh, Willie Ames yeah, and, and uh, Leonard, Leonard Mann's in that. 
Leonard Mann and um, Michael. I was going to say Michael. Uh, I think I've held off. We've held off on a lot of stuff strictly because so many other shows cover the same type of stuff, and they're all kind of in our group. Mm-hmm. So we've held off on a lot of stuff. But now that we're coming back around and everybody's show is starting to age and stuff, I think you're going to start to see some of the stuff that we've kind of put off forever. That you know we kind of been waiting on because you know the reviews were fresh in people's minds because a lot of people listen to our show, listen to Outside the Cinema, and they also listen to Silver and Gold now and stuff like that. So you know you want to keep it fresh. You don't want to cover the same films. We learned that pretty quickly when we did the S and M Hunter thing and Cinema Diabolica did it the same week. Didn't work out that good. No, no, it didn't. Hey, let me ask you, what's the date today? The nineteenth. Uh, yeah, it is the nineteenth. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's the nineteenth. Okay, a special day. Uh, no, but I'm ordering Swiss Chalet, which you guys don't have there, I don't think. Um, I'm trying to do it as we're speaking because that's always the thing with, with doing our show is having dinner ready. Um, yeah. <laughs> a little behind-the-scenes so. action people don't know. Will, the master of many many, many disguises there, doing, doing the dinner and the podcasting. and <laughs> On an exercise ball. It's funny because Jake was here. goes, oh, so this is the exercise ball. <laughs> yeah. you know? That's what he said right after he cupped them. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, and I said to him, I pointed down to him, I said, oh, you'll be exercising, all right. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. Um, you know what I like in films, and this film has it, uh, with, with the Blinn character, mm-hmm. is um, I like when they add that third, like that third perspective to films. Yeah, that's what I like. The, that's why I think I, I dug uh, The Cynic, The Rat, and The Fist so much, is because it had three perspectives. I think that that helps sometimes. Like, you know, it, it's, it's easy to go the route of good guy, bad guy, two, two-way story. But when you add that third little wheel in there, it, it's like a fresh, it's like a bit of fresh air every now and then. Like every time Jeff Blinn pumps back up, he's not he's not amazing in this film, but he's a breath no. of fresh air every time he pops up. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you felt that way, but that's the way I oh, felt. I did. Oh, I totally did. Because he's, he, I think they said he was like an old, he was a police officer. Yeah. And not in that way, like ex special forces. Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> they, th- I think they tell him that he's ex ex squadron or ex something squadron. You know those squadron words they use over in Italy for all the special, yeah, of course, special squads. Yeah, yeah, but he's a taxi driver now. But you know, he's still uh, sharp enough that he can kind of do some things. So, oh yeah, it is, it is nice because I think let's face it, being a B movie, you know, it, they're not always going to be the best written. So if you can keep things fresh by revolving around three different characters, it keeps things fresher. Yes, yes. So yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Um, and then you got the kid too, as sort of the comedic relief and stuff. Um, good. Oh, good dubbing, I said, which is always the case with these films. Always. Uh, speaking of good, man, Silva, pinky ringing it, man. You see him at the Baccarat table. <laughs> yeah. 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 I really love his, his get-ups in this film. Uh, later on, he's in a sweet, sexy silk robe oh, with yeah. a little bit of an ascot going. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is pretty cool, man. It's uh, You know, he's got that great... Mo- no, I don't think he had a turtleneck on. I thought he had maybe a mock turtleneck on or something when he went to see that one mafia guy. Uh, I can't remember if he did or not. Maybe I just wanted him to have a turtleneck on. <laughs> yeah, but, definitely. He he does rock a good turtleneck. Yeah, he does. And he's got he's got the right face for it and the right build for a turtleneck. Like some people, like me, I can't really pull a turtleneck off. My next <laughs> my, my next too wide or something. It just doesn't yeah, work for me. You know. I'm with you. I don't feel this. I feel the same. I. It's like those hats that that uh, Loaf wears or those hats that uh, uh, Bryn wear. When we were at Horrorhound last year, I was thinking, man, I can't rock hats like those guys can. Yeah, you and me both, man. I've always wanted to rock that hat, man. I'll see like like a shot of Brad Pitt in some magazine. I'm yeah. Like, man, I want to rock that hat. Or Brian, Brian I, from Movie Meltdown is another good example. He can rock that yeah. hat like nobody's business. I, it don't work for me. 
No, me too, man. It's just my head's too big. Yeah. And I'm better off in a baseball cap. Yeah. And that's where I'm at, too. I'm in the baseball caps. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's my, like my hat shame my hat shame and you know what it is man i'll go to the store and i'll see one of those hats and i'll put it on quickly in the mirror for two seconds before anyone sees me yes and then i take it off i know i do it every time and i show my wife and she always just looks at me and i'm like yeah. i got that picture of you in, in a little oh no that was a little hat actually <laughs> yeah that was a very little hat <laughs> that was a very little hat <laughs> and that's not a, a double entendre either <laughs> um I like the exchanges. We talked about Silva and Man. You know, it's good when you get someone like I know you, you maybe weren't as crazy about Man as I was, but Man doesn't feel like a complete weak sister compared to Silva. Like you, you may not have liked him as far as charisma, but he had a, a a determination. Yeah, you know what I mean. No, he hangs in there with him. He hangs with Silva. I mean, if you can hang with Silva, you can hang, with, especially in this genre, you can hang with anybody. So, mm-hmm. you know, I maybe be a little too hard on Man. It's not that I don't that I dislike him. I just I don't know. Maybe I just wanted. I don't know. Maybe I wanted him just to be a more bombastic cop. You know, maybe a little bit more vicious. I don't know what I was wanting. <laughs> Man, man's totally serviceable. Let's put it that way for me. Well, he is, and I'll tell you what's not is these websites that <laughs> I could tell you. You got sidetracked there. I could just tell. Holy fuck! My thumb's so big, and they got these little dots. I'm trying to touch it, and it's like I end up touching the one below, the one above it, the one below, the one above it. <laughs> fuck! It's gonna take me eight hours to order this fucking. Well, after we get uh, done with this review, well, we can we can take that break. Minutes. Yeah, um, yeah. But man, on top of the tanker, we talked about. There's music in this. The Demo- some of the Damascus score that that Mike uses in the Eurocrime documentary. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard it. Down an arrow. Down an arrow. I heard it. Yeah. Um, uh, we talked about that. I'll tell you, man. Uh, Johnny, the the kid, he's in one of those cars. He's gonna steal. What a car phone in that thing. <laughs> I didn't even know they had car phones in the mid seventies. <laughs> well, they didn't have a lot of them because of that car phone. <laughs> Did you see that car phone? Oh. Jeez, it's almost as good as the one in Roller Boogie, right? The Rolo, the uh, Roto Dial one that uh, Linda Blair had, and that old school oh. car she had. That's right, man. That's right. That, that was insane. Uh, one thing I really like about this film that feels even above some of the other films that take place in Naples is the grit and the grime and the the rundown, broken down, decrepit kind of feeling with some of the buildings and the neighborhoods and the tenements and stuff. Yeah, yeah. You see the decay, mm-hmm. and that's something that really struck me when I watched Gamora, which we got to cover at some point. We, yeah. I know it's on your roadmap. Yeah, it's another one. I think uh, it's another situation where we've just kind of been letting it set for a while so people can slightly forget about it a little bit so we can kind of you know bring it back to the forefront. We, we do that sometimes, as you know. <laughs> yeah, no, we do. We I, do. I still want to cover Drive at some point, but I'm just holding off. Same here. I, I want to do we want to do We Are What They Are. We Are What We Are. and, yeah. and so on. There's so many films that we talked about that I'd yeah. like to do. Um, man, even with the physical stuff, like the fisticuffs, I thought he was pretty good. So, you know, all in all, like I said, I feel like he really held his own. I do feel that the only thing with doing three sort of storylines is that there wasn't quite enough silver for my taste. Yeah, if you're going into this, I think uh, wanting uh, a lot of silver, he's very solid in like a background role. Uh, and he's pretty much, he's essential to the story, obviously. But this isn't like, you know, a silver showcase. No. So I agree with you. There's not enough Silva in this film uh, for those of us who really love Henry Silva. Um, but he is, and I know you agree with me, he is very good in everything he's in in this film. Uh, very typical of Mr. Silva. I was kind of hoping he would you know, break out a pipe or something, do some kind of crazy little character thing. That he some little eccentricity. Yeah. yeah, so we could talk about it. But it's about as crazy as it gets is the silk robe in the prison. <laughs> yeah. Which is still pretty, it's very Silva moment, you know. <laughs> Oh, yeah. With him in that damn robe. I mean, the end of the film, though, I mean, everything that happens at the end of the film is with Silva and Man is, is, is fucking amazing. 
It is amazing, and there's a delicious irony with a dummy. Oh, yeah, 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 delicious irony. And it's, the, the end of the film, it, it, it's time for my make or break. I have two make or breaks. They both involve trains, uh, but it's, it's so great. And I, I kind of torn in the air, but I would probably say that it's probably going to be my make or break because it has so much emotional payoff. It works up to a great climax, and it pays off. Some of your crime films, as we know, don't always pay off. They kind of do their centerpieces kind of in the middle or their big show-off pieces kind of in the middle, the back third or whatever, sometimes the opening. But this one, I think, has a great opening set piece. It's got the great train robbery. It's got some great chases in between. And not With only the that, tanker truck. Yeah, the tanker truck. But not only that, but it's also got a great last action set piece. So it's really action-packed and all the action set pieces. It's like Kano had held on to all of these things his whole life. And it's like he put them all together. Uh, but yeah, there is some delicious irony and and very poignant uh, stuff in the ending of this film. Oh, definitely. Really got really uh, really got to me. I gotta say. Yeah. And no. I, oh yeah, yeah. No. Without, without saying anything, when giving anything away from this film, I think you probably know why. But it really got to me, man. Mm-hmm. Which I never well, thought I'd say with a Eurocrime film. <laughs> no, but it's it's handled well, and like I said, I think the. The performance is such that it allows you to. You're not like, oh, yeah. fucking, you know. It's not like, you know, like some of crime films where people are just pissing on people, like in The Big Racket, you know. Yeah, when they're, <laughs> yeah, right before they light them on fire. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> not enough to rape them. Let's piss on them and light them on fire, too. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Those are actually all my notes. Yeah, I really don't have a whole lot more to add. I mean, I pretty much went over everything while you were talking. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just, I think this film, I think it's like a little hidden gem among the Eurocrime set. Um, I know a couple other ones out there. I don't want to mention them because I'm afraid if I mention them, they'll be covered somewhere else. But yeah. uh, and that's just the world we live in, so you kind of got to be careful a little bit. But uh, this one, I think, is always overlooked, probably because it's not so readily available. Uh, but I think it's it's a very solid Eurocrime film and a very good opener, I think, to the genre. Although I think this one's a little deeper. Uh, you know, like Big Racket, like we've always said, that's a really great opener to the genre. And some other oh, yeah. stuff. This one's maybe a little bit more uh, harsh, but also a little bit more in ways that's very Italian. Whereas the Big Racket feels like Italian slash. Well, no, it feels very Italian. I'm it thinking feels about, very Italian. Yeah, yeah. I, think I think it's about, because yeah. it's it's polished with a nice DVD release. That yeah, it, yeah, it looks you know good. I mean? Yeah, it looks good. This film doesn't look so great. Uh, well, at least not the copy I watched didn't look too great. So, look good oh, though. It's like a TV rip or something. Yeah. I think. Look good for what it was though. But it is underseen. I can't believe this one isn't out there somewhere. So, But then again, a lot of Euro crime is not out there, so I guess I shouldn't be surprised. So let's hear your make or break, MBTs. Um, make or break is the chase with the truck where he gets out of the car and on top of the trans- the, tra- the tandem trailer while it's moving into the truck. Yes. Um, just insane, man. <laughs> really good. MVT is Leonard Mann. That's why I kind of fought for him so much when nice. I review because I think he does a great job. And Nice. And this was the one when I first saw it, I thought, there really is something to this guy. You know, because when he first shows up in the screen with his perm, I'm like, oh, come on, man. <laughs> Dude's a joke. He's going up against the shark of the, the jaws, the shark of the, the genre. And he's going he's gonna to get eaten alive, man. All he's going to be left with a trench coat on the floor. And he holds his own. Mm-hmm. So I got to give him my MVT. And my score is a 7.25. It's a, a rock-solid entry into the genre. It's not the best, but you could certainly do a lot worse. Oh, and we yeah. have. Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> yes, we have. And we will. <laughs> Trust me. Yeah. We probably will again. Um, I make a break. I'm going to go with the whole uh, climax of the film. I think it really, really pays off well. I think it's definitely worth your time to get there. Uh, some of these films, because you get so much stuff going on. There's so many great scenes in between. 
and so much good setup to get to this finale, and the finale really pays off. Um, maybe not the way everybody will want it to, but it, it, it's still a payoff, and it, it's got it's got some power to it, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, my MVT, I'm just going to go with the sheer action of this thing. This thing is action-packed. The trailer really sells this film because this film is that film. It's pacey for sure, yeah, man. There's a lot of action, a lot of great car stuff, uh, a lot of violence to innocents. <laughs> <laughs> that are oh, yeah. just happen to be around. If you're pregnant, or if you uh, you know if there's anything you're going on, <laughs> if you're an old woman, or if you're driving a Fiat and go taking the family out to a nice little you know trip to the seaside, <laughs> <laughs> be warned. Leonard Man and Henry Silva are out there somewhere, and they will take you out. Of course, by the time you get to the beach, the Fiat will finally be crashed. But that's okay. Yes. Uh, but yeah, the action. This is an action pack. It's a, it's a full on action movie. It really is. Um, my score is just a little bit higher than yours, and I think it's just because I think it really needs to be seen. I really want to push this. I want people to go out and pursue it. Let's get a DVD release for this thing, and that's a 7.5 out of 10. Just a little bit higher. Nice. That's but, a fair score, man. That yeah. wasn't that far off. It, it's really good. Linderman, I had some issues with him, but I think between him, Silva, and Blinn, the film works just fine. Just fine. It really does. and it's It's a lot of fun, man. People really need to look for this. They really do. It's also weird to see kids threatened with knives. Yeah. Should be said, man. There's some things in cinema that's so bizarre to see them now. You know, oh, yeah. seeing kids threatened with knives, so bizarre. All right, so that's our review of Napoli Spara or Napoli Spara. I can't say it right. Napoli Spara. Napoli. Let's Napoli just say Spara. weapons of death. Yes, because <laughs> that sounds better anyway. Uh, pursue it. Go out there and buy it. CDB. Get it. We got a code. Do it. Trust me. You'll 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 not be let down. They've always treated us good, and trust me, they treat all of our friends well as as well. Well, as well. There we go. All right. Uh, so we're going to take a break. We'll come back and review one film known as Dirty Who. We'll be back right after this. While the global media is focusing on the aftermath of the global financial crisis, debating on whether global warming is scientifically sound or merely a political stunt, or reporting on citizens around the world toppling cruel dictatorships, I want to know why they're not focusing on the big issues. Is chess a better label than some? Did Richard Thompson or Britney Spears do a better version of Whoops, I Did It Again? Is Lou Reed or Van Morrison a grumpier old man? Do you think you two are a crap band? Do these issues matter in your life? They matter in mine. That's why I host Love That Album, a podcast based around music minutia. Join me, Morris Brzezinski, as every fortnight, myself and a guest host will dissect a favourite album right down to its bare bones and discuss some of the latest music news. You can find the podcast either on the blog site, lovethatalbum.blogspot.com or at lovethatalbum.podbean, that's P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com or just type in Love That Album, or one word, into iTunes. If your heart pumps to the beat of a Keith Moon drum fill, then I'd recommend you see a cardiologist. Failing that, you probably care about music passionately, in which case, join me for Love That Album. And you won't even have to drive your car into a swimming pool.
somehow I have a feeling Maurice probably won't ever cover that album. So <laughs> I should say that right now. I think you're still turned down, Large William. Well, that's the thing I like to do every few episodes <laughs> to keep things fresh by laughing with the volume turned down. Yes. <laughs> Sweet. All right. Uh, okay. So our next film is 1976's Dirty Ho. Well, outside of the snickering of the title, uh, I'd like to see you synopsize this one so we can talk about it because this was, uh, well, I don't want to say, I don't want to give away my review yet, but let's just say I can't wait to talk about it. So, Sure. Directed by Lau Karlong, who I've made no secret of the fact that I prefer him to Chang Che as far as the two heavyweights of uh, Shaw Brothers of the Era go. Mm-hmm. Um, directed by Chang Che, starring his, I think it's half-brother, Gordon Liu, um, amongst others in the cast we'll talk about, certainly. It uh, basically has um, Gordon uh, as Wang, and he's a wealthy wine connoisseur who's far more than what he seems. Oh, yes. Little does anyone know that Wang is actually a prince in disguise who has absolutely no interest in ascending the throne. In truth, 13th Prince would rather spend his days admiring art, checking out antiques, and drinking fine wine. <laughs> that is, of course, he run, until he runs into impetuous young jewel thief who considers himself quite the big shot. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, uh, of course, that's Wang Yu is the impetuous young jewel thief. So, yes. yes. There we go. Yeah, so this film is very interesting. I, I remember when you dropped this title on me, I think it was the second roadmap we did. Uh, I had never seen this. I, I snickered at the title like a child. <laughs> Everyone uh, does. I know. It's so easy to, you know, snicker at and, and make a little jokes about it and stuff. Um, but, it, you know, it all, it all, it, I thought, you know, what kind of film is this going to be? You know, I mean, you know, what am I getting into here? Because there's no synopsis on IMDb. Obviously, you found one somewhere because that's either that or That's, you have I got to give it up to, to Love HK Film, a great <laughs> Hong Kong resource that, um, that I've used for years. They review stuff from all over Asia, but specifically Hong Kong. Yeah, I was going to say either that or you came up with some great little words there. I was like, whoa, <laughs> man, this guy's bringing it. <laughs> Make me look like a schmuck. I would have stumbled and bumbled a lot more. So first things first with this one. Uh, Gordon, it should be said, rocks a pretty serious mustache. <laughs> this is two weeks in a row we've had Asian men with incredible mustaches. <laughs> <I know. laughs> and what I love about this one is, of course, you know, like in all Chinese cinema, they have to stroke it. Yes. You know, as they talk about something, like, oh, you know, and stroking it a little bit. And so he strokes it to the east. He <laughs> yeah. strokes it to the west. He really does. He's gangster in this. It should be said. He really is. He's got, he's got all kinds of game, man. And I like when he's rubbing his thick branch, quote unquote, his thick branch. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Nobody was seeing that one coming. <laughs> but, but I, I, I do like the way this film's set up. Essentially, Master Wang, he, he likes to, and there's and there's a giveaway with Master Wang, which I don't think we should probably talk about at all because it's really kind of the the whole twist of the film, right? So sure, yeah. you can't really talk about it, although it's kind of given away on IMDb if you really look. But anyway, what I like about him is that he he likes the 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 finer things in life, right? The wine, the 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 art, the antiques, the weaponry, the the martial arts themselves, including all kinds of different styles. What I like most about him is that he he seeks pleasure, be that with whores on a floating whorehouse, which is what it is, or um, you know a nice antique or a nice fine wine. Which this has got this this film easily has the greatest wine tasting scene of all time. Oh, does it ever? <laughs> I mean, it's it's the most amazing wine tasting scene of all time. Not only will you be giggling and laughing and everything else, but you'll want to be drinking wine too. Because yes. it just it just made me it just made me so happy, but anyway, um, 
that in there. There's another scene, I think, with uh, T as well. There's there's all kinds of great little moments in here, should be said. Um, but I like that he sees this other character, the Dirty Ho Jin, the, the, the Wong Yu character who's, uh, you know, this feverish, young, brash uh, jewel thief, right? You know, he's mm-hmm. it, it's essentially the... Uh, well, it's not the Miyagi Daniel Sun relationship, obviously, because in that case Daniel Sun's a picked on wimp. But in this case from New Jersey. <laughs> in this case, yeah, he manages to say that. I'm just a kid from Jersey. But the uh this case you got a very bombastic, uh very proud young character. And there's this great pissing contest at oh, the beginning yeah. between them on and, and the way money's spent, right? It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And it really is good and stuff. And Gordon Liu, of course, you know, he has this great way of one of the reasons why I think Gordon Liu is so great, not only is he a great martial artist and everything else that comes with this territory and this world of films, but he also has this magnificent charisma in his face. Um, you know, we talked about uh, Leonard Mann and we talked about uh, Warbeck and some of these actors who look good in like stills. Well, maybe not Leonard Mann so much. We, we, we kind of came to the conclusion that he's not that bad, but Warbeck's a good example. He's a good looking guy. Right, you know, yep. He likes to take his shirt off. He looks okay in a still picture. The problem is when the film's moving, he still looks like a still picture. <laughs> Same with Richard Harrison. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. See that? That's a, the, Richard Harrison looks great, right? Oh man, does he ever? He looks so great, but then when the, somebody yells action, it just goes action. out the window. <laughs> it just goes out the window. It's like what happened? I mean, he's fun for what he is, but he just he looks like he has so much promise, and then you know, most of his films, sadly, uh, well, yeah, the majority you know of his what? films. <laughs> I would say it's a good thing for film because Leone wouldn't have been the same with him instead of Eastwood. Yeah, you know, it's interesting when you think that. You know, you think, wow, you know, Richard Harris, he really screwed up, you know? He really should have bet a few times, but I think, man. You got to think, man, Leone could have really shit. You know, who knows? Leone could have really shit the bed. <laughs> he might have. I mean, as great as he is, I mean, part of the great thing that works about that, not to, to digress too much, is the glint in Clint's eye. Right, right. But you have to, well, we, we could go into that. You have to think that maybe he would have done the same thing. He had to have seen something in Harrison, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. true. We'll never know, but we'll never I'm know. glad he went with Clint. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the thing, I, that's what I like about, so much about Gordon Liu, and every time I see him on screen, to this day, he's still, he's a magical actor in that he just, he exudes this charisma that immediately draws you to him on on screen. He just has this ability to do that, and he's not a you know he's not like he's a big imposing guy or anything like that. He, he he's got this <laughs> he's just got this charm. I guess that's the yeah. best word to use. We've had him on the show a few times now. I probably like him in this the most so far. I don't know if we'll ever cover all of his films. Don't think it's possible. Uh, I've seen him in a lot of stuff. Obviously, I've seen Thirty Six Chambers, Shaolin, and some of these other films. But we will do a Diagon Pole Fighter, which I think is probably one of the top two or three greatest kung fu films of all time yeah it's another film where we've held off on basically because cinema diabolica yeah. covered it a couple years ago that's that's how patient we are guys mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll wait that long i've been wanting to do master of the flying guillotine but i think they covered those two films in the same episode they did man they did <laughs> i actually have philippe's copy of master of the flying guillotine on my shelf over there awesome uh but anyway so the uh yeah back to his charm he, he just he's he's so great in every little thing he does in this film he exudes that charm in everything he does. When he's just talking with somebody, when he's teaching the young, uh, the young character, Wang Yu character, the young character to not be so brash. When he's kind of taking him under, kind of the student-teacher relationship, a uh, youth and, and age sort of yeah. uh, thing. Yeah, and when he's when he's dealing with that, or what, like the great scene where the girl that quote unquote knows kung fu, 
Oh, uh, that's a great scene. Great scene with Kara Hui. Yeah, another moment where he exudes that uh, charm, and she's you know looking at him like, "What the hell?" And then of course you know the Wong Yu characters like, "What the fuck?" You know, it, and but you know the whole time you're you're watching <laughs> Lou because he's 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 so great at this this charm he has and everything. So it's really really wonderful. Probably one of my favorite Gordon Lou performances, to be honest with you. I mean, it really oh, nice. is. I and mean, that's that's saying a lot. This guy's done a lot of work. Yeah, and he doesn't really shit the bed. I mean, you know, he's. He's done a lot. He's got a consistent body of work. He really does. He really does. Um, the um, I really dug the look of some of the other characters in the film. What I like about this film a lot, and I think what's going to make me come back to Dirty Ho so much, <laughs> other than the fact that that sentence sounds really strange when I say it out loud. <laughs> Glad you said two and not in. <laughs> I've already had my fair share of Dirty Ho. But uh, what I really like about this, I like the the characters they they surround them with. So you have the four quote unquote handicapped devils. Yep. Which is pretty great. That that whole sequence is fantastic. And I said V with a V. Fantastic with a V. <laughs> it's really great. And also not only that, but you get the characters like like Bitterface. Yo man, that whole cast was great. <laughs> yeah, and I can't remember all of their names, but they're basically named after what they look like. So it's almost like a it's almost like stereotype stuff. Like, you know, if somebody's got a bitter face, they call him bitter face. If somebody's got a, a limp, they call him limpy or something. You know, it's not, that's not a character in the film, but I'm just going by what kind of give you an idea. But they surround them with these great kind of caricatures of, of fighters, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what I love so much about it because that's what I love so much about I'm One of my top ten favorite martial arts films is Master of the Flying Guillotine, right? Yep. <clears throat> and one of the reasons why is because it has these great character creations in it. It's not realistic. I don't care about realistic. I don't want realistic. I want no. mem- I want something that's memorable. Mm-hmm. And I think what Dirty Ho does that's really great is, <laughs> other than drain your wallet, no, uh, when I think what <laughs> and, Dirty... And, and your member. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think what, what this film does that's really great, though, is the characters, even though I can't name any of them off the top of my head because I have the memory of a goldfish, but everybody in the film is memorable and fun. This film is as much, arguably, and I'll see if you agree with me on this, this film is almost as much a comedy oh, definitely. as it is definitely. a martial arts film. It certainly is. It's a romp. Yes. It really is. I mean, this film is a romp. I laughed almost the whole time. Mm-hmm. And that, I, I can't say that about a lot of martial arts films. Some of them make me laugh. There'll be moments and stuff. Obviously, there's camp, <laughs> camp moments that have been made fun of as time's gone by. <laughs> yeah. But this one is legitimately funny. It's true. And, and it's it's really... It, it's charming. It's wonderful. It's... it's uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Whimsical, and and it's kind in of in the right way, yeah, yeah, in the right ways with its with its powers it has, and this the the acting alone just made me smile. The way they have so much fun, and the kung fu in this film, it should be said, it's not like it's not like uh, Dreadnought or something like that, which was just you know some amazing stuff. It is amazing in this stuff, but in this one, it's almost like a musical without music. It's almost like it's almost like dance. You're so spot on. It's not like there's a lot of heavy set piece, uh, sort of um, crown jewel fights in this. Yeah. Um, it's not that. But it, where's my note? Because um, you said musical, I think, just now. Oh, it, it, here's what I said in sort of Hollywood Western sensibility. In a way, it feels like a Jerry Lewis film with all this inanimate object improvisation. Right, right, right. Yeah, that, that's a good example, actually. Yeah. It is like a Jerry Lewis film, which I know you've been watching Jerry Lewis films lately. Yeah. It is a lot like that in a lot of ways because there's all these objects, or we could even be more. We could be more hip and say it's like a carrot top movie. No, that's not. It's nothing. <laughs> God, God forbid. No, uh, 
there's all these little moments. The, the scene I was talking about, the wine tasting. Uh, we can talk about this because it's not a spoiler, and I can, there's no way I can explain it in detail because it's way too elaborate for me to get into all the details of it. But you'll see in these films some of the most amazing chore in this film, I should say, not these films. Some of the most amazing choreography you'll ever see, involving two cups and a bottle oh. and a waiter and a fan. Yes. <laughs> some uh, simply amazing stuff. And what I loved about it was I love the 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 oblivious nature of uh, Wong Yu's character, of how dumb this character. I, yeah. I like how that he's 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 dumb in a charming way, not dumb in a Jim Carrey way, right? Not like dumb and dumber, mm-hmm. not in like an obnoxious dumb way. He's dumb in a charming goofy kid way, right? Uh, I love that you know he gets the sore and that he has to. I love that he has to put this black dot on his forehead. <laughs> yeah, I know it's like a mark of like a dunce cap. Mark yeah, of an idiot. <laughs> like really, it's almost like he's making him wear this black dot everywhere he goes. <laughs> yeah, you know, say like, this is my this is my idiot uh, student. You know, but yeah. I love the kind of oblivious nature of his character when these when some of these scenes are going on, right? And and that 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 works so well, and it's really a tribute to the filmmaking. That's that's classic filmmaking there. I mean, that's literally that's like Buster Keaton filmmaking, you know, timing and oh, editing totally. and putting stuff together and and the choreography of it all. That's all classic silent filmmaking, essentially, mm-hmm. where it's all visual, very little dialogue, even though there is dialogue spoken uh, by Gordon Liu. Some of the stuff he says is really pretty funny. Some of the faces he makes fucking crack me up, man. Oh, they're, they're great. But, and uh, it's a slight thing. It's a subtle thing. A shift of an eyebrow, a, mm-hmm, a look mm-hmm. in the way his eyes go. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And those little moments right there made me really appreciate, you know, f- and this may sound crazy, but this little things like that remind me of why I like cinema so much, what, what film history means to me, that the, some of these filmmakers from so long ago, uh, even though I don't know if, uh, you know, I don't know if the director actually had seen those films or not. I still feel the influence on this film. And it's really, in a lot of ways, a very flattering thing. Although I have to say, I've never seen so many cops or guards react to such small affairs as in this film. I know. <laughs> <laughs> like the whole army comes out the minute somebody's uh, hair gets in a twist. <laughs> yeah, it's true, man. They're it's, on point. It's a ridiculous a ridiculous amount of cops. Um. Yeah, like I said, the, the, there's a, there's a pretty good training sequence in here. You get Bitterface, who's a fun character. He's the one I remember the quickest. I don't know why I remember him the quickest. Probably because the face, you know, so funny. I was showing my yeah, son. Face. Yeah, I was showing my son his face and stuff. My son thought it was kind of funny. And that's one of those things that obviously translates over age and time as, as funny faces. Uh, but, you know, once, uh, as, as always with these films, once Gordon Liu gets a pole for a weapon, shit always gets real, man. Yes, <laughs> it always gets real really it's fast. True. This is the minute. This is the minute when you think this guy can, you know, just out charm you, out choreograph you, out drink you with tea, wine, out out look, you know, outbid you for antiques, whatever. Then he gets a pole in his hand. And you remember that this is Gordon fucking Lou. Hey, I don't know who the hell's calling me. Give me one second. <laughs> it's a weird area code. <laughs> Not me. Hello. Oh, you motherfucker. <laughs> was it was it Zom? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, uh, yeah. These automated like oh, trip giveaways. Yeah. I hear like the yeah. this like steamship horn going. This is your captain speaking. <laughs> Bastards. Yeah, that motherfucker. Motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, but we have, well, like I say once he gets a pole for a weapon, shit always ends up getting real, man. Um, you know, I could go on and on about this. I don't want to give away too much about this film. I'll say it looks great. It's another good looking. Uh, 
um, uh, Shaw Brothers film, and it it really does look great. There's very limited sets. I think there's only like maybe four sets, four or five sets. What I always think I like about the Shaw Brothers films is is they can take four or five sets, they can make a whole movie, and it not seem repetitive. You know what I mean? Totally, man. They keep going totally, back. To, they keep going back to the horror. It's like that sleight of hand magic thing where right. you're focusing on the guys that are doing what they're doing in the center of the screen, not the same set you've seen in 19 other fam- films, you know? Right, right. And they keep going back to, like, that whorehouse is a good example, that floating whorehouse and stuff. And I just, you know, I would forget because they they take characters out, they put characters back in, they take them out, and I'm like, okay, where, where are they at now? Oh, they're back in the whorehouse again. I just, I don't know what's going on. But they do that so well. I, I think about uh, uh, Black Tavern. They did that well with that one as well. Oh, yeah, and, pretty much one set with a few exteriors. Yep. So that's what I've always loved about these films. They always look good. It's it's amazing how well these films have been preserved over the years. And really a lesson can be learned there. You know, the Italians didn't do that, sadly. And uh, even, Ameri- even some Hong Kong stuff, man. You look at the 80s. Yeah. So many films look awful. And it's yeah. just a crying shame. I just think the Shaw Brothers, I just think, felt like, you know, that their stuff was going to be taken care of. And they didn't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. I just like... You know, I just think that was their attitude. You know, even American cinema from the '70s, a lot of that stuff still looks rough. I mean, a lot of it's getting remastered and cleaned up now, but a lot of that stuff still looks rough. You know, it's oh yeah, it's amazing to me. Uh, but I don't really have a whole lot more notes. I don't want to go into too much about what the story, uh, where it goes, because I think it, this film as well as the other film. Oh, we'll say uh, freeze frame for the win. I always like to say yes. that. <laughs> you always got to get a free. You know, whenever we get a freeze frame, I always got to say freeze frame for the win. And uh, yes, there's a great one in this one, really great one. But uh, yeah, it, it is great, man. I think it's the first freeze frame we've had since uh, Ninth Configuration. No, oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, for, uh, that one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then before that was it the uh, the killing killing zone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, nice. <laughs> but yeah, that's all I got. Let's see what you get to say. Okay, so yeah, we are obviously, as always, pinched for time, so I don't want to spend too much, but I do want to say this features a really great cast from the Shaw Brothers. Yep. Uh, of course, you got Lau Kai Long, you got Gordon Liu, who we've said is one of our patron saints, sort of slightly below the upper echelon guys, but it should be said, man, he's sort of the the unsung hero of our show, man. Like, oh, yeah. You know, we both love him so much, and then it's just... Uh, you know, I think he gets lost in the shuffle, which is why when we first started doing Gordon Liu films, I had said it for that very reason that I fi- kind of feel like he was Donnie Yen back then. Although Donnie Yen's the only guy carrying the flag nowadays, so he kind of everyone keeps an eye on him. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, Gordon Liu man just doesn't quite get enough love. Like, I mean, the people that really love Asian or Hong Kong films and kung fu films know him, but people that are just genre fans that like kung fu films don't appreciate him as much. I don't think. But right, right. Um, but anyway, yeah, so, I mean, you know, you got a couple leads in this that are really great. Of course, the titular Dirty Ho, Wong Yu, really great actor. Man. He did a lot of work with Shaw Brothers and then later on Golden Harvest. Um, we're probably going to get into some other of his films at some point. I mean, like the, the Flying Guillotine, Executioners of Shaolin, mm-hmm. uh, Challenge of the Masters. Um, did I say 36 Chamber of Shaolin? No, I said Executioners of Shaolin. Yeah, well, you um, said Shaolin somewhere in there. I said Shaolin. A <laughs> uh, Dragon Pole Finder as well, which he was in. Um you know, he's done a lot of great stuff, man. So, I mean, we're definitely going to get into his filmography at some point. And he's very good in this film as the young kind of brash uh, hoe, as it were. And then, you know, unfortunately, we didn't get much more Kara Hui. Uh, you know, I mean, she did the Archer series, which is one of my blind spots, actually, with Shaw Brothers. Um, Return to the 36th Chamber. Uh, Mad Monkey Kung Fu, I know she did. My Young Auntie, which is fucking fantastic. And she has been on a show, actually, before, with Legendary Opens of China. I mean, I could go on and on and yeah, on with her. Yeah, yeah. She's done so much stuff. And one of the great young female faces of the Shaw Brothers, uh, uh, I was going to say Corridor, um, 
uh, uh, ensemble. So, and I got to give it up. You know, where I first found out about this film was years ago on the Kung Fu Called Cinema uh, boards. The place I really cut my teeth with uh, Asian movies, as I've said on this show in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, I had asked people for some some kung fu films, you know, that maybe were a little off the beaten path or not didn't get quite as much love. And the guy said Dirty Ho, and I said the same thing. I said, Indeed, "You're lying. What's the film called?" He said, "Dirty Ho." I want to say, I want to say, God, he was British. He worked for a TV station over in Hong Kong. It wasn't James Marsh, I don't think, who writes for Twitch now. Oh man, I don't know who it was. Someone that was on the boards back then, on their boards, it turned me on to it. And uh, yeah, so anyway, there's that. And this would be a good one, I think, for Doc and KK to cover too. I think I don't think there's anything too blue or anything in here. Uh, yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, other than the horrors, but I mean, yeah, yeah, but nothing's too overly perverse. I mean, you could just look at it as showgirls, kind of, uh, you know, and not flopping in the water like a fish, but just you know, kind of showgirls or whatever. I don't know. Maybe Doc would have to review it and see. Um, so yeah, I mean, it opens with some bling and, and the opening. I love, you know, late 70s, early 80s when you had a lot of uh, Shaw Brothers, a lot of Kung Fu films. That we started with, and even Hollywood did it too with the Dirty Harry stuff. Um, they have that black backdrop. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then you get like, like I know Snake and Eagle Shadow does uh-huh. it, the Jackie yeah. Chan film, um, where it starts off with like a black or a red backdrop. And then the credits go and the person does a few little things. And, yeah. You know, really good. Um I love the music early on when they're on the the, the floating uh, brothel. Um, it's kind of like, and I'm not even lying when I say this. It was like showcase showdown music. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, good. That's a good call, actually. Like serious showcase showdown music. Um, this film was clearly subbed by uh, an expat from Britain because <laughs> at one moment when um, Ho says to uh, the Gordon Luke character, he says something like, "Oh, but all my mates are waiting." Yeah. <laughs> that's something that's very British. I was wondering where his mates were. He, you know, he had his mates with him for a little while. They all deserted him pretty quick when he got that gash on his head. Yeah, man. <laughs> no doubt. Um, there's a really great shot in this film, because a lot of these times, these Kung Fu films are known for their cinematography. When it pans from the boat that Ho is on to the boat that Lou is on, mm-hmm. that was a really great shot, man. No, this this film is very well shot all, all together. Mm-hmm. The action is very yeah. well shot. There's some really nice uh, camera pulls and, and uh, focus pulls and stuff in here. It's 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 really every time we do a Shaw Brothers film, I'm just amazed. It's a genre that's easily made fun of, right? In hindsight, the martial arts film, and there's a lot of bad martial arts films. We've talked about this before, but there's also a lot of really good martial arts films. There and, are, man. And this is this is definitely one. I, I'll tell you this: I would put this in my top ten martial arts films. Now, I'd never yeah, seen this before, but this would easily go into my top ten. Now, yeah, I don't know if it's in my top ten, but I wouldn't say you would be crazy for putting it there i do really love it which is why i picked it because but it's one of those moments where like like on the facebook group where you put thanks sammy for the some of the films that turned you on to this oh, is yeah, yeah this yeah. is definitely a thanks will one because oh, that's awesome man that yeah. that really is great and i'm glad you dug it that's why we did it because you and i had said one of the things was you were the western and i was the eastern uh, right. more so and you know it was like you had said man i've been through that minefield man i've seen all those brutal kung fu films you got to get me into some good ones <laughs> yeah. you know because you'd seen a lot of good ones but once you get past a certain number it's to dig in further it is a minefield same with spaghetti westerns right right so, right um but yeah no hey man my pleasure for sure but um um what am i oh yeah great you talked about this great one-upsmanship with the money and the jewels really great um what does this say your your you've got oh someone says oh, never mind i can't explain that um 
You know what's great when I love in kung fu films? Jackie Chan does this a lot because this, again, comes from that um, kind of magical world of like Buster Keaton and silent film stars is how they take uh, take an inanimate object, Jerry Lewis, take an inanimate object and they bring it to life. Like they do it a little differently in this where they'll take something who or someone who isn't quote unquote supposed to be good in kung fu and someone will puppet them to fight back. Like you see it with Kara Hui in this film, and you see it in another f- sequence with the the the, uh, the police or whatever, or the four demons or whatever. I love when they do that, man. It's so magical. Right, right, right. I do too. I mean, I think it's just, I think it's great when they do that kind of stuff. Yeah, it really is. You know what looked like it really hurt, man. A lot of times, a lot of stuff would hurt, but when you see that chair leg go right on the bridge of his foot, oh, yeah. oh man, yeah, that looked yeah. like it would just fucking hurt. Well, that's a tender area, man. If you've ever hit, if you've ever hit that area really hard. I mean that'll take you down. That's like the shin bone, you know. It takes you down, man. Or like that, ta- or like that new tattoo on the silver and gold page. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That shit'll shit take you to the floor, bro. That will, man. That will. Jaws, indeed. Um, uh, uh, so see, we talk about the sequences. Um, great bit, yeah. The wine. Oh, you know what was great too with the the four demons, or whatever. It was the wine spray as kind of arterial blood spray. Yeah, yeah. That was—I don't want to give too much away, but that was really great. And there's a lot of kung fu trickery in this, which is great. And what's great about Dirty Ho is, you know, you and I—I think recently we're talking about spinach dip, man. He got—it looked like he had some spinach dip up on his forehead there for a bit. (laughs) It did, it did. (laughs) Yeah, no, he definitely did. Uh, It was some kind of weird concoction, and that—that wound looked like it looked painful because it was so like bright orange. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true. There's a really funny flying headbutt in this. I can't remember where it was, but even in like the cocoa, but like, like that noise, <laughs> it was really good. Um, I like the unconventional sound effects actually throughout this one. You get like it's almost like some seventies laser sounds and just a kind of sprinkle of some really unconventional sounds, but they work. Uh, sorry, are we going to say something? No, 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 no. Great bit with the wine and the tortoise cups, which you talked about and which you'll hear about later. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, and then just one of the things you know, like I said to you, man, you know, films like Cripple Adventures, Police Story. Black Tavern, Dreadnought, this. Um, I try to go for films that don't necessarily have the, the most conventional storyline. And this really has a freewheeling kind of storyline. I mean, it's very different than a lot of films, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it, it's, it's very much, you know, a comedy and a musical and a martial arts film. It's really a very interesting piece of cinema altogether. Mm-hmm. And the way it mixes and matches all these different parts, it comes out of this nice, beautiful, little entertaining package. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Lou's face we talked about, which is great. I got to admit, I got to ask you, there was a moment when they talked about uh, a weight, or not a weight, um, uh, a term for measurement or of weight. And in England they say stones, but here they said it was something like it weighed two caddies. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that was. I don't know what that is, man. I've never heard that term, a caddy. It weighed two caddies. Or don't, don't know what a caddy is. C-A-T-T-Y. But, <laughs> yeah. Hopefully somebody will call and tell us what a caddy is. Yeah, no doubt. I really hope they do. Um pretty interesting training sequence with the candles and the saucers and stuff and you know, that was kind of cool um, in this film one of the gangs with the bitters the bitter brothers or maybe the, the bitter triplets there was bitter <laughs> tea there was bitter face and bitter mouth so yeah, yeah the bitter triplets the most disturbingly effeminate cat-like old Chinese man in the history of cinema <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was a strange character creation I don't know what that was all about really odd man he had like Matt Dillon's teeth uh, from there's something about Mary and he, he goes, I'm the gentle one. <laughs> no shit, you're the gentle one, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, bitter mouth. Um, I think that was what um, 
Wolfen's arm called Mikey after the Coverdale viewing in the room. It was Bittermouth. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I loved all the, yeah, like you said, I loved all the little types, little characters, because you could think of one of those characters later on and, and kind of smile. Um, yeah, yeah. Just really memorable. I love Bitter Tea, but I'll tell you, Bitter Tea sort of was Mike Tyson asking that he better end it quickly or get a bigger teapot. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> And I love when the old cat man says, I've seen bigger. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, you certainly have. Yeah, you know, it's a little bit of that hitting you right over the head thing that Asian cinema does sometimes. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. think that, I don't think there was, you know, I don't think it was trying to be too much double entendre there. I think it was pretty much, hey, get it? <laughs> get <Yeah>. it? <laughs> Definitely. But he was just weird because he had this cat. Like, he just, his way he moved, it wasn't just overtly, um, overtly, feminine it had like a, it really did have like a cat like quality it was just weird man just really weird um i love the kind of lone wolf and cub-esque wheelchair stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i'll tell you man there was the wind equivalent of fulci fog on that peplum set that long carlong decided to use oh my god yeah was that some uh, what <laughs> i kind of imagine that they were probably like hey let's just let's get a little bit of wind and then he was like we need more wind and then it's like holy shit turn it off Oh, yeah. I mean, I, they must have really had to glue that black dot on uh, Ho's head, man. Yeah, because, I mean, that wind was blowing, man. Yeah. That's pretty. That's the one scene, though, that kind of stands out as kind of odd in this film because it almost feels out of place because they're, you know, they're outside of the normal uh, set pieces and stuff, and there's all this wind and stuff. It looks very different compared to the rest of the film. Yeah, it does. It does. I'd, um, forgot, I'd forgotten all about it, to be honest with you. I didn't even make a note of it. I can't believe I didn't make a note of it because that was like Fulci Fog. That was, you know, some serious lung wind. Yeah, man. <laughs> Pretty great death dance from the one guy who gets an arrow in his chest in the little entryway to the cave. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, of course, a really impressive final boss battle at the palace with everyone kind of killing and timing so well, man. Yeah, you know, I often wonder, and, you know, I, I don't do enough research to know, but I often wonder how many times they have to shoot some of these things because the choreography is just amazing to me. It's so incredible. It's so well-timed. And a lot of times, it's not like you see like the cut, cut, cut. Like a lot of It'll go on for 30 seconds before it almost is like a different camera angle. I know. I know. It's just astounding. It is. It really is amazing. And this is just one of those. I mean, this is, it's like Dreadnought to me. It's a jaw dropper, you know? It's like, what the hell? I got to show this to some people. Yeah, definitely. Well, those are all my notes, man. All right. Um, my make or break. I'm definitely going to go with the, the wine scene, uh, the, the, the many different uh, types of wine, the... Uh, the turtle wolf wine, the the wolf rhino uh, pimple wine. I don't know. They get all kinds of uh, different types of flavors, and they got a cup to match. <laughs> they do. They get, it's like this, like um, like brass turtle or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like how are they gonna drink out of that, you know? But sure enough, they do, and they do it very creatively. But it, it's a great scene. I mean, it's and it's got a fan in it. And trust me, uh, it's definitely got a fan in me going forward. I mean, it's pretty amazing. It, it's. You, you, this choreography is some of the best I've ever seen. It's just amazing. And that's not to knock any of the other moments in the film. There's so many great moments, but that's the one that really just kind of jumps to the forefront for me. Uh, my MVT, I'm going to go with... Uh, I wonder if I've picked Lou before. I bet I have picked him before for, like, Legendary Weapons of China or something. I bet I have. Let's go with Lau Carlung. Lau, 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 how do you say his name again? Lau, Lau, uh, yeah, Lau Carlung. Lau Carlung. There we go. I couldn't get the Lau out for some reason. Let's go with him because I think this film is through and through very well made. Uh, it's got a very straight narrative to it. You, you won't get confused with your characters. You'll go right through with it and stuff. I know sometimes us uh, bumbling Westerners kind of get confused with our Eastern you know, actors and whatnot. But uh, 
this one, everybody's clearly defined. The storyline's clearly defined. It just works really well. Goes it just it just tra- it just thing just flows really well. My score for this film eight out of ten. Nice, very, very super solid. I'm very happy this film is now in my life. Can't wait to show it to my brother. Oh man, that's real cool, real cool. Uh, my make or break is the exact same as yours. It's uh, the wine tasting make or break scene, of course. Uh, the scene that really elevated or made the film for me. Uh, wine tasting scene. And my MVT is the teamwork of all the principals and even all the secondary people, man. Like, just this is one where I felt like. The choreography is fantastic, but it's the timing um, in this film of like the people that are doing the second and third positioning in each scene. It's just like, man, the way he dove in at this exact moment, it, it just domino affected this and this and this. It uh, just really impressive, man. It'll leave you breathless. It really will. Mm-hmm. It's amazing stuff. I mean, it, I haven't seen one this riveting since Dreadnought, and that's been some time. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's uh, that's it, man. Oh, did you give a score? I didn't, so I guess that's not it. <laughs> My score is just a pinch below yours. It's a 7.75 out of 10. Um, really great film, man. I really, really love it. I'm glad you loved it. Um, and hopefully more people will check it out. I think there's a great disc, I think, out of Germany. Stay away. There's a Region 1 disc that's like a, a, it's a pan and scan. It's really bad. It's really beat up. Um, so people need to stay away from that one. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely check it out. I advise everyone to do so. All right, so that is our review of uh, Dirty Ho. <laughs> this is still funny saying it. Uh, I guess we'll get into our pleasantries. What do, what do we do? We know what we're doing next week. We don't. Uh, that's why I've been kind of bumbling and something. I'm trying uh, to find something here. Trying man. to find our roadmap, and I've covered most of it. Yeah, I really need to get back to my roadmap. I've been so I've been free flowing for so long now. Yeah, I'm well, speaking of Dirty Hoes. Yeah. I'm gonna look at mine while you uh, give the pleasantries. Okay, um, so as always, we encourage everyone to check out our sister show, Silver and Gold Show Show, OTC. Check out Hamicus. And speaking of Hamicus, I think he's going to be covering um, Hot Nights in Brighton this week. So. Oh, nice. Check that out. Yeah, Hot Nights in Brighton, the Bryn. Um, entrails from the Skeleton Closet, Podcast on Fire, Podcast Without Honor and Humanity, lovely lovely time was had with uh, Yuri and Jake uh, and my family and Teresa and her hit it off which was great so Teresa's gonna be coming to the next Horror Hound it should be said oh nice be good to see her again yeah definitely man she, I know she's really looking forward to seeing you and coming and seeing everyone so uh, check out Cine Awesome uh, Action Attraction Married with Clickers uh, Paleo Cinema and Scott man I gotta get with Scott poor guy he's always inviting us to these super cool screenings and I just I never can make it but um, Scott man I really wanna get together like this summer a couple times man even if it's just for drinks um Paleo Cinema, Girls on Film, Gleecast. Get over to the Facebook group. They've got one they've been going on for a few weeks now. Family Movie Night, our good friends Doc and KK and the fam. Um, 35mm Heroes, Chin Struggle vs. Punter. NOTLP, that's Night of the Living Podcast. The Big Red Podcast, Better in the Dark. V Cinema, Criterion Cast, The Projection Booth, and of course, Mondo Film Podcast. Uh, and... Um, yeah, those are podcasts. Now, PearSinema.net, get your subscriptions, check out their blog, uh, NightmareTheater.Plip.TV, YourYoungMonster.com, Teleport-City.com, TheGGTMC.Blogspot.com, Rupert Pupkin Speaks. Um, um, are you still sorry. looking for something to cover at the No, same I wasn't. <laughs> I just got derailed mentally. Deadly Doll's House. 
Chuck Norris Ate My Baby, Fist of B-List, Cinema Gonzo, Playground of Doom, Scared Shiftless and Shasta, Moon in the Gutter, The Wax Mask, DeathRattle.net. He's got actually a great interview up with Simon Rumley uh, of Red, White, and Blue fame and Living in the Dead. LightningBugsLayer.com. Uh, we like stuff too. Our good friend Ken, our favorite J&B bartender. Oh, yes. Uh, we like stuff too. His blog, he's like going on. A Hero Never Dies. I mean, not it forever, man. Hero Never Dies also. Um, then, of course, check out DiabolicDVD.com, cinema-de-bazaar.com for all your identified genre needs. Uh, Weapons of Death was brought to you by them today. Promo code GENTLEMAN for 10% off your orders. OMG-Entertainment.com, GGTMC10 for 10% off your orders. BoulevardMovies.com, The Mighty Camera Obscura. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, uh, leave us, and of course, twitters.com slash GGTMC, Large William, Bob Freelander, Piccolo of 10, Uncool Cat, etc. And iTunes reviews. All right, so that is all of our pleasantries. Uh, Will, you got some names drawn for the posters, correct? Yes, I do, man. I do. I wanted to get these posters out. I've drawn five names at random of uh, people that participated in Kringle. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, it, it's here we go. Uh, Justin, the Cinemaxicist, is going to have a GGTMC poster. Um, and, of course, all these people need to send me their addresses again. Um, <laughs> Sleepy Chris in, in uh, the great state of Texas. Christina. Nice. I got uh, the man, your your go-to man when it comes to UFC, Josh. Ah, uh, yes. Um, our good, good friend, Cody. Ah, uh, Yes. And our favorite red-suited, bespectacled gentleman, Mike Ensley. <laughs> nice. It should be said, if any of you guys have been one of the ones, unless you just want two posters, one of the ones that donated to get the poster and the and the donation, and you don't, and you want to give your poster up that Will just drawn for, just, just hit Will up. Let him know. Oh, that's a good point, yeah. Or man. if you want to, and it's your call. These are very limited. There's only, how many of these? 18 or 20 of these in existence? Oh, man, there's not very many, man. <laughs> so... You know, we'll probably do something again some point in time, but these these were done for as a favor, and uh, by the great people that we are, young monster. Yeah, and uh, we loved them for it and stuff, so we want to share them with everybody. I mean, they're gorgeous, trust me. So, mm-hmm. um, all right, so there we go. So that is everything. All right, so uh, next week I think I'm going to stay in the wonderful world of Italian cinema. It's you know it's where my heart falls more often than not. I almost went with Jeff Speakman in the Perfect Weapon, by the way. Should be said, Ooh. It came close. Came close, and then I almost went with Van Damme and Hard Target. So, oh, nice! But I was like, he's, you know, he's a Quebec, Quebecois. <laughs> yeah, but we'll, we'll get to, we'll get to that stuff, I'm sure. But uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Blind Man, uh, the spaghetti nice. western starring I've never one seen it. Ringo Starr and uh, Tony Anthony. Uh, nice. Should be very interesting to talk about. It's a very peculiar little spaghetti western. So very nice. Well, we're gonna get back to a guy that we both love. Actually, two guys we really love. Um, I decided to flip it on its ear. I was going to pick Fast Talking or Fast Walking, the James Woods film, but I'm going to go with a little something called Florida Straits, 1987. Nice. Directed by Mike Hodges, Fred Ward, Raul Julia. Sweet. You know what? It's so funny you mentioned that because I, I, the first. And Antonio Fargus, I should say. <laughs> the first film I thought about for the Speakman and the Van Damme was I was going to think about doing Time Rider finally. <laughs> oh, I know. That one's been around for ages. Yeah. I don't have very much more on my. I was looking at my roadmap. I don't have very much more to do. So. I know I got Somito Makai Tensho and The Proposition, which I was this close to picking. Which so you got had two Westerns. Samurai Reincarnation? Yeah, Makai Tensho. Oh, I thought you called it by its Japanese name. Which Thanks. I butchered, I'm sure. But uh, I, should, I should have called it Samurai Reincarnation. <laughs> you, t- you totally fucked with me, so it worked. All right, so all right, so that is what we're doing next week. That is our big show. And with that, I always bid adieu by saying adios. Adios. Adios.
Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 